I'm Matthew. I'm Marty. I'm Carlos. And we are the Heroes 3. Welcome to Heroes 3, the bi-weekly podcast where three friends explore the best, worst, and everything in between in the world of Asian cinema. And this week we're taking a look at City on Fire, the 1979 Canadian disaster film. Wait. (laughs) It happened again. Sorry, we're looking at 1987 City on Fire, the Hong Kong film directed by Ringo Lam and of course starring Chow Yun-Fat. And we are continuing our look at gun action movies. And this one's, this one's interesting. This one has a lot of, like, weird background and kind of, you know, outside of the actual movie itself, interesting bits to it. So definitely interested to kind of dive into it. Yeah, I mean, this this movie has a really glowing reputation, and I have felt bad that I haven't seen it until uh, preparing for the podcast. And I don't know if I was just... Um, maybe coming into it with the wrong attitude or uh, if it wasn't maybe super well served by having to follow tiger on the beat and a better tomorrow. But uh, it's weird. I I don't want to ruffle any feathers, but I kind of don't see what the fuss is about with this movie. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I'm not far off from you. It was just, it's not a bad movie, but it is, there's just a lot of yeah. It's not as though it's like do, it's, it's not oh, as though it's like doing awkward or weird things. But I'm trying mm-hmm. to, I was trying to gather my notes after watching it, and I'm like, okay, what are the strengths of this movie? And <laughs> I was really kind of, I was really kind of struggling. So it's not as though like, oh, this is, um, you know, this thing is really awkward or this is really terrible. But um, I don't know. I guess it reminded me more of like going back to like an old procedural cop TV show or something yeah. like that. Hill Street um, Blues. But I do. <laughs> I mean, I love where the film ends and what it what it seems to want to do with that ending with those characters. But the rest of the movie didn't really seem all that concerned with leading to that moment, at least for me. But uh, I I'd love nothing more though than to watch it some other time and have a totally different uh, response to it. But um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's definitely, definitely a movie to talk about, uh, as we're kind of chronicling the rise of Chow Yun-Fat's career and sure. this kind of new type of Hong Kong filmmaking, um, which really, I think in many ways it is trying to almost have this kind of like Hollywood accent to the, the story and the way we're depicting police and criminals and everything like that. I think I was a bit warmer on it than you guys. <laughs> no, that's good. I, I, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, I feel can't like, agree on everything. Yeah, that's fine. I'm, I'm sure people are always anybody that listens to the podcast is like, man, they like everything. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I, I kind of liked how actually the the title of the film. Well, the English title is "City on Fire," and I think that Ringo Lam was, uh pretty successful in kind of showcasing this gritty 80s Hong Kong whereas in like A Better Tomorrow it's more about the relationship between the two main characters and all of that uh kind of drama I think that you get less of that which I think kind of is um 
a criticism of this film because I think what they what they want to do is build up Chow Yun Fat and Danny Lee, who we've got Danny Lee in this film, who yeah. um is actually kind of interesting because he is playing a criminal in this film and around this time he was mainly known for playing a police officer and actually uh seeing him in this role in this movie is kind of um was an interesting thing at this time and um i think they want to give you kind of that same kind of relationship that and i don't think they earn it as well as the relationship that's built up in a better tomorrow and right we're sure. talking about completely different movies but they're within the same scope so oh um, yeah the, you can't help it compare the two yeah and i think that what i enjoyed about this movie was the the setting of the movie and um yeah the, the, the yeah the I'm, I'm with act, you the, there yeah the it's... final act is really strong and so strong in fact that it was influential you could say to other filmmakers <laughs> i guess that's the other thing i had a reaction to too is like um Almost any time you see City on Fire mentioned, it's uh, it's kind of indicating that, oh, this is the movie that actually inspired Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs. And mm. uh, Reservoir Dogs is a shot-for-shot remake of City on Fire. Yeah. And so um, <laughs> I didn't think I was bringing that baggage into uh, watching the movie, but it's possible I was. And I was a little surprised. It's like, okay, yeah, there's a Mexican standoff, but neither of these filmmakers invented that. Yeah, there's a dude undercover and they get attached, but I can think of, you know, a dozen 70s cop movies that that explore that kind of theme even, even um, deeper. So I don't know. Yeah, I I definitely think if you see, if you're familiar with both movies, there are some details that you're like, whoa, that's super close. But I've been thinking about this a lot because I knew we were going to talk about this. So just within the scope of the podcast, we've encountered so many moments where East takes from West or West takes from East. Right, you know, right. we've talked about Police Story and Tango and Cash. We've talked about <laughs> uh, Yojimbo and A Fistful of Dollars. You know, mm-hmm. um, these. Yep. this isn't something that's new. I think... I think what it was is that just Tarantino's kind of this character that kind of rose to prominence and was kind of like the cool guy, but he's also like this kind of, I love movies too, you know? And, and right, when, you, right. when you look at his body of work, you can see all of the influence pretty, um, you know, at, at face value, <laughs> you know? And, and a lot of times it's very intentional, but um, I think that you've got film people or just people in general that are like, Oh, I know what this guy's up to. I'm going to expose him. And it's yeah. like, movies? well, and it's like, I, I love that effort. I just think it could go further. I mean, after having like watched city on fire, um, I don't know to me city on fire. And I really, I'm trying to hold back from ripping into it too much <laughs> or unnecessarily, but it's kind of a boring sort of derivative movie. And I, Ouch. I guess I wouldn't point. No, I, I know that sounds that sounds really mean, <laughs> but it's not it's not as though it's chock full of these really innovative ideas. It's more just like Hong Kong's take on a kind of tried and true undercover cop sort of story. Mm. Um, and I don't know if it even really explores it all that uniquely. Uh, so it's I'm all for like going under the hood of Tarantino and seeing like, oh, where does this lie? But I don't know, I guess the journey can't really stop with city on fire. Um, 
Yeah, I get. I you. think you have to keep going, a, you know, a couple steps further back in time, because. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It's really interesting talking about the East West influence and there's tons of examples. Some of the ones you mentioned and a lot more um, that pull quite heavily from Hong Kong and other Asian films. Uh, but there's an interesting kind of conversation going on, especially looking at this eighties period of films when so many of these movies are clearly trying to imitate kind of like a Hollywood language Um and I don't know. I think that's where things get really interesting to see, yeah. have that kind of game of telephone across cultures. Mm-hmm. And eventually you start seeing like some really original like themes sort of emerge from that. But, um, I, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Let's see. Where do I want to go with this? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I, no, I came it, in way too hot, man. It's It's okay. It's okay. I, I guess I I like that you didn't like it as much because it makes me want to dig into the movie a bit more because I yeah it makes talking about it a little more interesting yeah yeah yeah. I think that the you know the small cast and the situation that they're involved in is is cool I think it's cool but I feel like the chemistry between characters isn't as good as you want it to be to make you um to get you drawn into like the drama of that because like by the end of the movie you do get a sense that uh uh chow and fu they they're homies but they're not like super homies like yeah you actually don't have much of the movie like building that relationship there's one or two uh, scenes and i think those scenes are great Mm -hmm. um they're pretty late in the movie if this is what it's ultimately about and Spoiler alert, if you're going to have this kind of tragic ending, I don't know, I think you need to to maybe care a little bit more about the romantic relationship that uh that gets stolen yeah. from you. Mm-hmm. Um and uh I don't know, it's funny. So picture this movie not having Chow Yun-fat or Danny Lee. Does it work? You know, mm-hmm. like do you do you connect with it in any way? Um mm. I don't know if I I guess I don't know no, if I No, I would. totally get you cuz it it rides a lot on uh chayon fats just charisma yeah which is amazing and i think and also i love what you're saying carlos about being able to see hong kong in this time period uh Mm -hmm. it's like this historical uh time capsule or something and so i think that's that's awesome um and you're right it's there's something almost kind of like surreal about john woo's filmmaking where he's kind of uh it's like a. I remember reading a review when Amelie came out where uh, the critic was saying like, "Oh, Jean-Pierre Jeunet is like he's depicting the Paris he wishes existed," you know. And I think John Woo kind of does that with Hong Kong. It's like mm. he kind of almost paints this kind of imaginary uh, place in some ways, and this feels much more like almost like you're watching like a news crew or something. Um, yeah. So and, we yeah, we can talk about Ringo that. Lamb a little bit now. So um, yeah. yeah, yeah. He just before this film, he did uh, Aces Go Places Four, which we talked about here and there on the podcast. It's kind of like a James Bond parody series. Yeah, uh, that became really popular, and um, Aces Go Places Four became a big hit, and it really kind of opened the door for Ringo Lamb to do this film because uh, Carl Maka, one of the stars of that film, actually 
told He's Ringo like an Lam, executive producer on this yeah, movie, right? He he literally gave him like four million like dollars and said, "Hey, oh, wow. you can do whatever you want." So uh, Ringo Lamb was thinking about what to do, and um, he he wanted to kind of do this kind of more realistic, more gritty kind of crime film and he he's mentioned like William Friedkin's The French Connection was like an influence but there's also a thing that he uh there's a story that I saw where he actually read in the newspaper a story about um some jewelry robbers that were able to get away from the police and he was thinking about oh nice you know how could this happen and that was kind <laughs> of one of the inspirations um uh, for this film so he went forward and did this movie and um you know we've talked about a better tomorrow so this is kind of like the explosion still happening and this kind of cemented a lot of those ideas and um really with these two films and um you know some of the other stuff we're going to be talking about that solidified this uh heroic bloodshed genre that i think i think rick baker that um that British dude, uh, he's pretty awesome. He like knows a ton of stuff. Like I think he's yeah. the guy that actually coined that phrase. But um, oh, the heroic bloodshed. Yeah, yeah. You you'll yeah. also see what it's a great what, kind of yeah, yeah term for the genre. The other one that you hear sometimes is bullet ballet, which is like kind of cute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, it, so it, I think it's definitely important to um to showcase some other directors from this period, and I love that we. Got to see this great Lalgalong movie with Tiger on the Beat, and also to focus on Ringo, because uh, I think we've only really encountered him Those in dragons. Twin Dragons. Yeah, yeah Twin Dragons. Um, yep. And um, I think we mentioned uh, before on the podcast that uh, actually passed away since we've since we've started doing the show, so it's, yeah. it still feels mm-hmm. seems like a very recent recent loss. Um, and uh, speaking of the East meets West, or you're probably going here, but uh, Ringo Lam actually had at least two Hollywood films that he made, right? Or maybe right. three? Right. It was... Yeah. Um, Mostly Van Damme movies, I think, right? Yeah. Me... Yeah. So Ringo Lam did Maximum Risk, the JCVD film in 96. And um, he he kind of, like, you know, we'll talk about John Woo, too, coming over to the West, but um, he didn't make the big splash you know that we was hoping for so um right. i don't know it's funny when you think of jean-claude van damme so like there's like what hard target with john woo and it's like mm, i think it might have been jean-claude van damme's fault that these dudes didn't do as good as maybe they <laughs> could have because <laughs> because then Choi hark had a run at a, a oh Jean-Claude yeah double too, didn't double impact or whatever the one with dennis rodman it's it's really I think I always mix that up, but it's it's bad. <laughs> That's an interesting take that it's like, oh, what's the common denominator here? <laughs> I like Jean Claude Van Damme, but I kind of, I, I don't, I'm not a Jean Claude Van Damme hater by any means, but I'm like, sure, sure. You can, like, you can like Jean Claude Van Damme and recognize that most of his movies aren't exactly good <laughs> yeah. right, right they're enjoyable but not sure good's the right word i saw a lot of his films in the movie i saw um universal soldier i saw uh kickboxer i i kickboxer i saw at home but um what is the other street fighter obviously i saw that oh, in shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry time um, cop was 
Dude, time cop cool. rules. Bad yeah, I reference yeah. that every now and then still. <laughs> Anyways, getting sidetracked. But yeah, City City on Fire. I like it. You guys don't like it. That's cool. <laughs> we still got to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, totally. totally. <laughs> and, well, I mean, so, I think the good news is it's like the, it's not super um, dense on plot. There aren't a lot of twists and turns. Um, yeah. And so it was. We should be able to explain it pretty well. It was also um, released on DVD through Dimension, and with that, they kind of did their usual business. So it's uh, the original film was actually scored by Teddy Robin, who we talked about recently, yeah. and also like we mentioned in Twin Twin Dragons, um, mm-hmm. when they brought it over here or over to the West, they rescored it, and it's kind of. Yeah, very mid 90s yeah it's it's very yeah the real like the very opening main titles like the added hollywood main titles it's like oh this music is going okay and then uh, after like, the opening sheet sorry after the opening scene which is really bloody and ends in a really dark place then it goes to this like really groovy like mm-hmm. easygoing music <laughs> But yeah, it's it's not too different from some of the Jackie rescores of the yeah. mid nineties mm-hmm. that yes. we talked Yes, definitely reminds me a lot of those. But I think that um, the the rescoring for the English version really kind of takes away from Ringo Lam's kind of eye of Hong Kong because uh, Teddy Robbins' score is it. And honestly, I would say that this film is scored better than a better tomorrow but i love the music in a better tomorrow more does that make sense I, yeah that i totally understand I get that. yeah saying. and um no i i wonder if that's why me and marty didn't like it as much it's because the music just wasn't as yeah like, didn't, didn't hit D- us in the right way right the dvd that i shared with you guys only had the english audio so if, if anybody's yeah. mad they're gonna be even more mad that i uh, <laughs> revealed that <laughs> but i did watch the original audio version just to compare the two. And I, I definitely prefer the original audio version. There aren't a lot of uh, Would you cuts. say the score is more sparse? In the original? Yeah, so um, okay. the main, uh, I guess the main material is just like this bluesy saxophone that kind of gives you this kind of seedy, kind of grimy gotcha. personality. So it's more of like a noir. Yes, 100%. Vibe. Whereas oh, the American great. version has like drum and bass in it, and like yeah. almost there's like when when they're going to rob the bank the first time, there's like a song. It it almost sounds like it's like Beck or something. There's like this kind of yeah, I get you. You know, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, and Dust Brothers kind of. Yes. Vibe. Yeah, yeah. So it kind Which, of. I really like that kind of music, but yeah, it doesn't yeah. necessarily doesn't necessarily work with the movie. Yeah, I think it undercuts the um, the the tone of what they're going for, mm-hmm. and I also feel like the uh, the script, it, even though it keeps the overall um, message of what everybody's saying the same, they kind of throw in some kind of unnecessary kind of jokes here and there that I can see like it's like a script 
translator being clever and trying to mm-hmm. add some flavor gotcha. and it kind of has these kind of anime feels to it where it's like uh, <laughs> you added that because of the way their mouth is moving or you wanted to right, just kind of throw right. in a little thing here and there so i mm-hmm. think combining those two little things that on their own really wouldn't be that uh bad it mm-hmm. makes it, it it takes away a lot from the english version of the film yeah. and it's unfortunate yeah, and also I, there's I a lot totally of times where they stop in the middle of the sentence because they had to cut over <laughs> right. to the other person exactly yeah and it, it, it like you can do that a little bit in some dubs but it's very noticeable in this one yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and this, um, yeah, speaking this is- of dubs though um because this was one of the dimension movies in like the 90s we actually we don't get credits for who does what voice, but we actually get credits at the end of the movie that says who the voice talent was, uh, which is very rare for these movies. <laughs> yeah. So um, uh, here's just a couple of random ones that I was able to pick. Um, one of them is Keith Ferguson, who I mean, all these voice actors have done eight billion things, but Keith Ferguson's biggest role that I knew of at least was I. Y'all are probably too. Uh, don't take this the wrong way. Y'all are probably old. too old to to watch uh, Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends. Um, it was like I, a mid. It was a mid yeah. Cartoon Network show. I'm um, familiar. I'm, with yeah, it, I'm aware of it and it. I've seen some yeah. clips, but yeah. Um, but he did the voice of Blue, like the main oh. Imaginary Friend character. Yeah, oh, cool. Uh, so that's kind of cool. Barry Dinan did the voice of Chamberlain in uh, the the Dark Crystal. Oh, like oh, the nice. like the lizard people things, the bird yeah. lizard thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um. And this is the one, this is one for Carlos. Um, one of the people on it is Dean Schofield, who did the voice of Johnny Sasaki in Metal Gear Solid games. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's I love, cool. I love digging in all that. that yeah, and that's it was awesome. cool being like, I felt like I recognized some of the voices, so it was cool seeing you know, some, some overlapping names. Dude, mm-hmm. Totally. Mm-hmm. And I also don't want to come down on the rescore too much. My... My sense, just hearing it, is that it would had to. It was something that maybe had to have been done in like a really tight window, um, which is kind of how the the localization usually went for a lot of these movies. I don't think there was a, a giant amount of uh, time to produce either the dub or the score. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think a lot of that drum and bass stuff. It's um, if you kind of are aware of some of the composing tools from that time period. You can almost hear some of the presets being used and stuff like that. Oh, nice. Um, but it's, <laughs> which is, it's what you would have to do if you were, um, you know, really racing against the clock to score an entire movie, yeah. uh, more or less by yourself. You know, there's not a budget for an orchestra really here or anything like that. It's That's all, funny. So as home produced stuff, yeah. as like a composer, Marty, like, so when you hear stuff like that, is that like, I guess for me, like if I hear like a Super Nintendo soundtrack or like a Sega Genesis soundtrack where I'm like, oh, that's that. Like, is it that night and day? Sometimes. When you hear I presets? mean, with this period, I, I know of a couple of other composers that will like call out like the name of the loop uh, <laughs> preset for like the drum loop and stuff. That's um, great. <laughs> you don't encounter it so much any anymore, but there is kind of like a, there's sort of an era where. Um, that stuff was getting used a lot, but it's also, it's a really effective, uh, way to, to, yeah, kind of produce a lot in a, in a short amount of time. Mm. And you can see like with most of these, uh, the dimension in the Miramax 
localizations, whether it's the Jackie films or other Hong Kong films uh, of the 80s and 90s. They're also, they're trying to kind of minimize the, um, the age of the film as much as they can. Um, I, yeah, yeah, I get that a lot. So, that's, feel that. so I think mm-hmm. that's, that's a big part of it. And I think that's maybe one reason why uh, I'm actually not aware of almost any movie that was kind of localized in that way, retaining its original score. Yeah. I think we mentioned with rumble in the Bronx that that original score is really strong and could have survived in the, in the U.S. version, but it's just kind of a default that they, I guess they had kind of like a house style of how to uh, Hollywoodify these mm-hmm. movies. I will <laughs> say that the the video transfer looks really great for City on Fire, and I, I imagine if you were to track down the um, the original version, it might not even look um, quite this nice. But um, uh, but yeah, these are they're kind of interesting relics. These uh, these Dimension and Miramax dubs. <laughs> Yeah, ironically, the uh, the steps they took to make it not feel like it was from the 80s just makes it feel like it's from the 90s. Dude, totally. that's so funny. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It's like how the the Brady Bunch movie from the 90s is the most 90s feeling thing in the universe because <laughs> just trying to make fun of the 70s. Right, totally. Uh, well, we should probably dive into the actual movie itself. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, but first, let's take a look at the back of the VHS. Hong Kong, 1987. An organized crime ring terrorizes the streets, and the police infiltrate their ranks to try to take them down. But when their agent is made, he pays the ultimate price, and the police look to Officer Ko Chow to replace him. Chow reluctantly enters the den of wolves, but finds common ground with Thief Fu. Loyalties are tested, and lines are blurred. When the stakes are raised, who will Chow be able to rely on? Ringo Lam directs this cornerstone of gun action. Chow Yun-Fat and Danny Lee star in City on Fire. So I will say the movie does start off pretty strong with the, with we we see like this, this undercover cop kind of getting, getting trailed and then, and then uh, (laughs) killed. Uh, which sets up kind of everything that we're going to see for the next, for the next. I, I will say I wasn't expecting so much like handheld camera stuff like in, throughout the movie. Um, so it kind of opens with these like very kind of uh, verite shaky camera kind of shots. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I guess we could say, yeah, that's, that's Ringo's style. But as the movie wore on, I was kind of wondering like, Oh, do they just not have, um <laughs> dollies and, and stuff on this production but um, well i told you it was under a budget right so maybe that, right, there could right. be some truth to that yeah carl maka <laughs> it's like you don't need that what are you yeah. talking about <laughs> um uh even before this scene the opening titles differ from version to version so the um i kind of had a feeling it felt it didn't feel very 80s hong kong <laughs> yeah it it isn't that drastic but the original film's uh, titles are just basically black screen with blue text. And uh, the Western release kind of does this. I, I feel like it's almost like Cowboy Bebop. <laughs> kind of. That's this, the first thing I thought of, too. <laughs> yeah, it's black with blue like black silhouettes. And blue and, yeah, you yeah. got like a gun pointing. And they don't go too far with it. But even just that little bit kind of gives you that same feel of like mm-hmm. the intro for Cowboy Bebop. So, um, 
I was thinking that. But yeah, like I said, this kind of gives you this kind of snapshot of this gritty Hong Kong that we're being introduced to here. And yeah, you have this, what you find out is an undercover cop and he, he gets murdered basically just in the public in front of everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, there's, you, you kind of get the sense that the guys on the other side of the law can basically do whatever they want. <laughs> and, and, and there's a lot yeah. of the struggle in the film between uh, the police trying to get their job done, but then you've got these criminals criminals that aren't terribly worried about getting caught. They they do mm-hmm. make plans, and um, Chow Yun-Fat's character, actually him being the cop, he seems to be getting dogged more than the criminals themselves. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that is a cool element throughout the movie is seeing that uh it, conveniently enough Chow Yun Fat's character is named Chow. So yeah, right. uh you see Chow getting kind of berated by all of the quote unquote good guys, but every time he's around the the criminals, then that's like whenever he actually feels like, you know, at home and, and feels like like people actually enjoy being around him right, and yeah. aren't criticizing him all the right, time. Totally. And that's one of the real strong points for me in the film. And I think like you said, it's really thinks in a lot to Chow's performance in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and also yeah. his kind of uh, his reputation on camera at, by this point where it's, mm-hmm. he kind of has been excelling in these roles where he's, uh, you know, he's got this edge and he's like a, a rebel and a rascal. Um, so we kind of want to see him that way. Yeah. And he's on like, you know, the law side this time but he still kind of has the anti-hero energy that people really enjoyed out of him from a better tomorrow yeah totally i just wanted to call out the the opening undercover cop his outfit is almost and his like his styling or whatever is almost exactly how they approach uh jackie's hong kong twin in twin dragons he has the pony oh you're right the jacket i think even the same sweater it's Mm -hmm. kind of like sweater vest yeah nice So when we're introduced to Chow's character, he's kind of tailing like his girlfriend. You kind of don't really understand, but it becomes pretty apparent that he's got a relationship with this woman and she's out with another man. And um, one thing leads to another and um, he gets slapped pretty hard. It's actually an awesome slap. Yeah, that's a well shot slap. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really good. Um, but uh, in the middle of this mess, he gets arrested and you don't understand why that happens either. But um, what you find out is that um, his just like, like bringing him into the office. Basically. Yeah. His chief like had him arrested just to get him back. <laughs> he can't get a hold <laughs> yeah. of him. <laughs> and um, this, uh, this guy here is uh, his name is Lao and he's played by Sun Yue, who we saw in pedicab driver. He was yep. the um, kind of down and out rival romantic lead for Samuel. <laughs> yeah. And um he has I a think, great look. Like yeah, he just has yeah. the look of of like the the good guy tired cop kind of Yeah, kinda, totally. Yeah, this kind of sad thing. face puppy dog mm-hmm. eyes kind of thing. Mm-hmm. He kind of looks like if Alf got turned to a human. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. <man. laughs> a little bit. <laughs> so uh yeah, this is where you find out that Chow is an undercover cop and that this other guy was also undercover and he was killed. 
Lao wants to um, put Chow on this case and kind of take on where this dude left off. Um, you kind of get a sense of their relationship too. They, you can tell that they've probably worked together for a while and that they kind of are a little more familiar with each other than like maybe other cops would be. So that's kind of like a nice thing. It's almost, it's in a way, it's kind of like a father son deal, but yeah, yeah, there is that kind of vibe. Yeah, I like it. I think that that's another strong point of the film. I do and, like that you have this scene uh, where they meet like in the morgue. Um, that is like a really unique moment. I think having their kind of like meeting there as Chow is like casually looking at this dead body. Mm-hmm. Yep. And everybody smokes in this movie. Like, it is, I think is like, outrageous how much smoking there is in this movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> There's some scenes where literally every person on camera is smoking almost. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure, I, I'd have to go back through, but I'm pretty sure every single scene with Chai Yun Fat starts with him lighting a cigarette yeah. or having one in his, in his hand. <laughs> he looks really and cool. there's even a couple times where I'm like I feel like 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 he's in the morgue I feel like there's got to be something <laughs> right. like un you know bad for you know forensics or something <laughs> but yeah the only character I can think of that doesn't smoke is this like loser rival um police officer what's his name mm-hmm. Jack something yeah John John yeah, yeah. John. John Chan yeah yep yeah Oh man, that guy's the worst. Anyways, all right. Quick question: so, Does John does what John say and do make any more sense in the um, <laughs> original no, version of the movie? No, it's it's pretty faithful. Um, okay. He's he's just the young jerk that yeah. wants to prove himself. Get and, away, old man! Yep, lacks the wisdom. Yeah, and perspective to uh, do the right thing. Um, yeah, I mean, like, there's conflict in the right places. It just often doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, okay, next we get introduced to our criminals. So mm-hmm. you've got this stakeout here, and there's a crew of maybe four or five guys. You quickly learn that they're going to rob a jewelry store. And uh, mm-hmm. it's in this building, so they kind of have to discreetly make their way in through the elevator and make their way up. Yeah, it's cool because the jewelry store is, like, in an upper floor, and um, I can't remember seeing something like that before. Mm-hmm. Neat. Yeah, you get this. Uh, you know, we haven't talked about Reservoir Dogs too much yet, but um, one of the scenes here with them all getting out of the car and walking together, although there isn't some cool music behind them leading them in, is one of the comparisons that people yeah. pull. Like, oh, this is just like Reservoir Dogs. But I think Dogs. that's the kind of thing is it's like, dude, do you see how people are together walking in the street? <laughs> I'm like, oh, wow, yeah, copyright protected, dude. I think um, as. It, once we get towards the end of the film, I think for me there are some pretty yeah oh sure, sure like comparisons where like mm-hmm. I think if you wanted to argue these are more concrete, but I also am like, man, like don't put so much effort into like getting mad about this. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> this is and this is also we you know we talk about Hong Kong cinema where they just straight up lift Star Wars movie <laughs> soundtracks yeah, and yeah. throw them in there. <laughs> yeah, right. So it's like all right. <laughs> but this well, is that cool kind of like um com- back and forth conversation that we're talking about. Seeing these dudes with their sunglasses like walking across the street, they're trying to be like Hollywood cool. Yes. And if that mm. does end up influencing um, a later, um, uh, you know, really successful American movie. That's awesome. How yeah. that mm-hmm. all kind of feeds into each other. 
but yeah, yeah Danny Danny Lee is just man he's so dang cool in this movie um mm-hmm. he's got again really... I think the, I think the casting is really um really significant to uh however successful the, this movie is for you yeah yeah so the guys are making their way in and yeah. And they right. immediately take off their cool sunglasses and stuff because they immediately put on uh, ski masks. Yep. And, and I, the I love the guy. Like one of them has a knife, one of them has a gun. But the other one, it looks like he's holding like a metal ruler. <laughs> like it yeah. doesn't look like a knife. <laughs> it doesn't really look like a machete. It's like got a flat edge to the end of it. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's kind of crazy. <laughs> um, they bust their way into the jewelry store and hold everybody up, but um. Downstairs, Fu, Danny Lee's character, he's the guy that's got to cut the power, and he gets caught right away and has to fight somebody. So things are starting to get messy. And um, when you have like a whole office worth of people and you want to keep you know, everybody quiet, uh, it's going to be pretty hard. And eventually what happens is uh, one of the managers, he sees them and they chase him into his office and he's putting up a fight. And uh, Song, one of the guys on their crew, he's pretty wild, and uh, he just starts <laughs> to beat the guy up. So that creates some infighting between them. And uh, Fu makes his way up, and he kind of diffuses that. But uh, he's just as cruel as the other guys, so <laughs> he needs to find yeah. out what the combination is for this safe. So he just grabs the dude's hand Ow. and just yeah. stabs right through it with like a mm-hmm. letter opener. And um, that's a really cool shot. I think the detail mm-hmm. of having blood yeah, pooling really. under the hand is really yeah. effective. Yeah, and um, it kind of gives you a little tease at to at the violence you're going to be seeing uh, as the scene progresses. Yeah, and, I think what maybe separates um, City on Fire from some from some of the other Hong Kong gun films of the period it's it really does depict the violence as uh, more gruesome. Like there isn't kind of like a beauty balletic quality to mm-hmm. it most of the time yeah that's this is another one of the the gritty details that i kind of feel bring it to a little more realistic uh like a view if you're if you want to pull that right um right. but these guys are uh, successful they're able to uh get downstairs but the the problem is like i said you now there's like an old lady that sees uh what's going on and she runs downstairs so foo pursues her and um it's actually pretty cool i like how this plays out because um he makes his way downstairs she's already gotten the cops and they're coming back and um he plays it pretty cool and he doesn't have his mask on anymore and he just kind of pretends like he's waiting like he's waiting for the i thought that was really clever and it Mm -hmm. almost worked except she um yeah this lady's too smart she said i also like there's a shot when the lady is um, running to the police to some police officers on the block to tell them about the robbery and we're kind of almost seeing it from the perspective of like the head bad guy but then one of his henchmen walks up to him and says this lady just told the police <laughs> I, I mean that to me almost captures some of my experience with the movie in a nutshell it's mm-hmm. um if you even take a look at the running time. It's like an hour and 40 some minutes, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, right off the bat, it's like, huh, that's that's kind of an odd place to land with the running time. You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. there usually is this magnetic pull to either like two hours or 90 minutes. Um, mm-hmm. And it's the whole movie feels like it's like a little bit loose in that way. And there's some kind of redundancies that I don't know if they 
I'm not sure really what they what they give you. And that, mm-hmm. anyways, that's more that's like a funnier little moment. But it's <laughs> yeah. Um, but then it's merely followed by some more gruesome violence because he gets he gets found out by the lady and it like holds up the cops. But then one of the cops tries to make a move and he just blows this dude against the yeah. wall. And like I was definitely wasn't expecting to see the quite that level uh. of uh of violence. Yeah, they don't uh they don't kind of the tension is of her kind of seeing him and you see that play out, but they don't have this kind of cinematic tension of is this guy gonna get shot? It just is like it just happens. Yeah, it just yeah, just boom. Right. Yeah, you're so shocked by it. And it's um, funny because that's really realistic and like and shockingly violent. <laughs> and then it it yeah. kind of whips over to goofy Hollywood action because yes. he goes outside and sees a cop car coming towards him. He starts shooting at it, and the guy swerves. The car flips over and it explodes. Yeah, it's great. a really nice looking explosion. It's a really yeah, cool it's just explosion. Gigantic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a funny moment too, and this is me comparing the two versions. Where um, before they go inside you see it's kind of like got this mini marketplace feel to it there's some street vendors and there's a dude playing the saxophone and <laughs> yeah. that's that ties to the original audio score and um while they're making their getaway that saxophone track is <laughs> still chilling there and they show yeah there's a cut to the saxophone player in the midst of all of this because you can tell that he's blind so he's mm. just kind of crouching down but um, he's blind, which means that he can't hear all the explosions and yeah. gunfire. <laughs> but um, that that shot of him is deliberate because you're hearing the saxophone track mm. playing. So, yeah, they escape. And um, now we have another kind of uh, breadcrumb in this case. So uh, mm-hmm. Lau shows up with the police. And this is where you're introduced to uh, Inspector John, who's mm-hmm. kind of like this young um hotshot dude that uh the commissioner brings in to kind of take over the case and uh lao being this kind of seasoned uh chief in the force sees this as a threat and um mm-hmm. he's pretty upset yeah. at this kind of uh young guy getting in his face yeah john mm-hmm. seems to be designed um definitely uh in relation to lao it's almost like you write down everything that Lao wants and then you just make John oppose all of those things. <laughs> um, and so I think the result is it, it just, I'll try not to harp on it, but again, John's character makes no sense whatsoever. There's a point later in the movie where he tries to bring in Chow Young fat because he says he's with the criminals and Lao explains, no, he's undercover. And he's like, but he's with the criminals. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> it's just the most, yeah, I don't know. It's I found it hard to kind of continue to to give faith and believe in the movie when it's just some of the most kind of basic logic stuff uh, just isn't just really isn't there. I mean, I appreciate that you have this antagonist, but he's got a you got you have to believe some part of him or some reason why he acts the way he does. I don't know. Yeah, I think that yeah. I mean, he's obviously meant to be an antagonist, and you're not supposed to like him, but yeah, it's kind of annoying how they handle all of that. But then we get to go to um, the most romantic scene of the movie uh, coming up next. <laughs> yeah. So um, <laughs> Chow's in an apartment, and what you find out is it's uh, Hung's apartment, the girl that he was speaking with before. And you get a better idea of 
their relationship. It's kind of like this cat and mouse game that they're always playing where it's like, I'm mad at you or you're mad at me mm-hmm. and I'm going to play hard to get, but really we care about each other. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that that's established pretty well. But even this kind of romantic line throughout the film kind of is a little muddled, you know, like it builds to this point that you kind of get, but it, you don't feel it. Like you don't, you don't care yeah. about it. Again, it's it, making, it's making the right kinds of moves mm-hmm. that there would be tension in their relationship. Um, but there's almost not there's not enough of the other stuff. You don't really believe that these two like anything about each other mm-hmm. or haven't. Um, and it could almost be interesting or clever him proposing to her in the shower. But it's mm-hmm. it all plays off very weird. I'm like, is this Lalgar Long trying to make a love story right now? <laughs> it does kind of feel like that actually, since yeah. you mentioned it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just it's a little. I can't imagine any relationship being like this. And it's not funny. And it's not in like this kind of comedic place where you can kind mm-hmm. of just like go along with all that. Um, so it's kind of strange, but this is their, I would say their entire relationship pretty much hinges on you um, buying into them in this scene here. So um, hopefully there's something that you like about seeing these, seeing these mm-hmm. guys together. I do like <laughs> that her friend is like, such an integral part um of the story and like their relationship i guess um she's definitely not like experiencing like third wheel phenomena she's like more helpful or whatever Mm -hmm. yeah they have a they have a little scene it's yeah like it's just it's one of those scenes that honestly if just the the actress who plays hon Kering just played it a little differently i feel like it would work better but she's not quite like at the end she plays it playful, but for a little bit of it, she's just playing just pissed off <laughs> instead of like, oh, you. Mm-hmm. And that makes the whole thing feel more like one sided and not like there's a give and take. And later they have a give and take, but it's, yeah. it feels like this is like the first scene they had together or something. Also, it's um and really not trying to just pull on threads here, but he's supposed to have already been like in deep undercover before getting this new assignment but it seems like he can just kind of go about and live a normal life and establish this relationship um you know the movie shouldn't have to go into that stuff but there's there's just enough that doesn't that isn't like super clear um i think yeah what you're saying is you know so here they get engaged and that whole kind of engagement and the wedding becomes a point of contention between the mm-hmm. two because it's his personal life and his, you know, uh, career as an undercover cop are kind of fighting against each other. And I, I think that works. I, I, I th- I'm okay with it, but yeah, it's, it's still kind of like, I don't know. Anyways, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Moving and then obstacles on. you'll get later. It's like, you got to meet me at 10 o'clock. It can't be like, can it be 11? Because yeah. I have this job thing at 10. And now our whole relationship will be destroyed. <laughs> so um, we get a little scene of Lao and uh, Chow kind of talking about things. And you mm-hmm. get um, more about Lao's frustration with him being kind of an older guy in the force and them trying to push him out. And mm-hmm. that's fine. Um, following that though i think is kind of one of the cooler scenes for me in the film it's uh more of ringo lamb getting to show hong kong and mm-hmm. uh there's yeah, totally. basically this montage 
of Chow. He it starts off in like kind of a nightclub, and uh, we actually and we get, have a familiar face. Yeah, yeah, Maria Cordero again. Who I think I I think I called her Filipino in the last episode or Tiger on the Beat episode. She's actually like Macanese and Portuguese. Oh, okay. So gotcha. Um, let me correct myself <laughs> before somebody <laughs> else does. But um, yeah, and it's her and Teddy Robin again. So she worked with him to sing the intro for Tiger on the Beat. And here they've got her singing a song for the film. And um, the English version and the original audio version are very different here. So the English version is kind of funny because it's like this kind of sexy, <laughs> like sexy, like power, powerful yeah. song from her point of view. And uh, in the original version of the film, it's not like that at all. It's actually more about the struggle of like kind of like the working class. And <laughs> like, oh man, uh, that's we can, crazy. We'll add that to the um, the blog post for the episode. <laughs> And um, it's also weird in the dub because um, when it when she's uh, in more of a close up and clearly on screen, it seems like they're trying to mm-hmm. write a new song with the same lyrics. But then when the camera cuts away, it seems like the lyrics kind of do whatever they want. It, did I read that right? Or is... no, you're totally right. It's no, interesting. I, I, yeah, I get you. It that's what that's one of the other things I was. Yeah, like, I've kinda... never I've never seen something like that before. Exactly, it's really and it kind of reminds me of anime dubbing too, where they try mm-hmm. to kind of fit these puzzle pieces together so you don't that's really one thing notice. i like about more like in the past i'd say the past 10 years of anime dubbing they're like nah we're just just do the original audio for songs like we're not even yeah, gonna bother awesome. just put subtitles up all right so there's one thing that i wanted to mention before we move on and um have you guys ever seen return of the jedi <laughs> <laughs> yeah yes so you know you know in the i have yeah the, the special edition there's that like extra jedi rocks yes yeah is it okay for me to say that i was totally getting jedi rocks vibes from maria cordero's performance oh my uh, gosh <laughs> dude that is totally that's totally okay i hate that that's the comparison oh. that i have now that's that's a shot for shot hollywood <laughs> stealing from asian cinema look that i totally see i just i had to get that out because it was stuck in my brain and i just thought oh man actually if you go back and watch like cg size noodles she's just like aping Maria's <laughs> moves oh man that's yep. great oh my gosh All right, anyway <laughs> It goes from this to, like I said, a montage of Chow, you know, out on the street talking to people, making deals. But you also see that uh, there are cops tailing him. So that turns into this whole thing throughout the rest of the movie. So um, so he's got to make a gun deal with these jewelry robbers. So Song, the kind of wild uh, uh, gang member, meets up with him. And there's actually a little moment during the or first robbery where he gets a gun and he's like, Oh, I don't like this gun. And it ends up Mm -hmm. kind of being a defective. So I kind of like that. They put him in this meeting to kind of, yeah, he's already got this motivation. Hey, I want a nice gun, you know? (laughs) 
So um, he sets up a deal, and um, Lao sets it up so uh, Chao goes to like a bowling alley, and he picks up the guns out of a locker. So now you get Chao meeting uh, Danny Lee's character, Fu. Because Fu means tiger. So actually, the, the original film title, uh, Not City on Fire, it translates to like dragon, tiger, turbulence. And um, that kind of is like Chao is the dragon and Fu is the tiger. The tiger. Oh, that's pretty cool. cool. Yeah. <laughs> and um, they meet in a diner and they're kind of hashing it out, like playing their kind of deal games. Like, I'm going to give you a number and you're going to argue about it. And then we're going to come to a deal. But <laughs> we're happy about the deal, but we're not going to say that we're happy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um one of the funny things about this is that uh, they're like sitting on these kind of metal frame chairs with wood backing to kind of have like a wicker backing. And the only reason I noticed that is because we had those same chairs in my house yeah. when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> it was really weird to see that. <laughs> mm, that's funny. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, they make a, they make a deal and he's going to um, meet with them to like kind of trade the money for the guns there's a really cool scene where you see chow putting on like the tape recorder on his body where it's like this uh like he's in this like super messy bathroom and he's like they spent a lot of time in the movie showing that like him taping like hurts a lot yeah (laughs) yeah it's funny for like for all the people that like you know get blown away by guns that they spend time being like uh, ooh ooh pulling tape off ooh that hurts I like that yeah That's to the point good. where you kind of think something will come of it right or at mm-hmm. least I don't know you get kind of conditioned watching undercover film or television where it's, I mean that's obviously a big danger right that you're going to get caught and if you have a listening device that that's going to get caught there is one. Uh, one really strong scene where he almost kind of gets found out, but yeah, it doesn't. Um, yeah, there are a handful of moments in the movie where I I felt like a little bit misdirected, and it didn't feel like in a super satisfying way. Just kind of, I I realized you know later like oh I was following the wrong thread or I kind of misunderstood oh. what they were doing there. Uh, I I really like that scene. For one, it's set in this like cemetery, and it. It yeah, looks, sorry, that scene, yeah. That's, yeah, that really great. striking, Yeah, and it's at night. And um, I wonder if it's the same cemetery from Better Tomorrow. Man, I don't know. It, it, it looks super there cool. There can only be so many cool graveyards in, uh, yeah. in uh, Hong Kong, I suppose. It's pretty cool. Or actually, because... no, cemetery. At, that's, this is, no one cares about this, but technically it's only a graveyard if it's attached to a church. Otherwise, it's a cemetery. Are you for real? Wow, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh go man, figure. I'm gonna tell Joanna that Damn after man. this recording, <laughs> she's gonna be like, "Whatever." <laughs> yeah, she'd be like, "Huh, cool." Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. So, Chow gives them one gun with the promise of getting more later on, and he also doesn't give them any bullets. And Fu's like, "Oh, okay, I got my own bullets." And then they, uh, you know, the things heat up right here. So, the other two goons grab Chow. And this is where they kind of pat him down and they're just kind of shaking him up just to see if he's like for real or not. Mm-hmm. But I, I think this has one of my new favorite lines in a movie. I I have a feeling you wrote down the same line that I did. Go for it. <laughs> Top guy you ever been killed before? 
Well, have you? Oh, man, it's great. <laughs> oh, man, so good. It's so good. And that's not Ugh. a change from the original audio. It's, it's actually, that's what What's great is there. it's not a rhetorical question. Like, he answers it. Not really. Only half dead. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, that is cool. There's a really kind of scary graveyard. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Was it a graveyard or a cemetery? I don't uh, know. Cemetery. <laughs> Maybe a cemetery. Crap. Because <laughs> um, usually cemeteries are, like, big and... Yeah, you know, this is huge. This is a huge cemetery. So he gets backed up to a like a gravestone, and his foot falls into the grave, and you oh, see like yeah, this dude. muddy skull, oh, gross. like protrude from it, and they're all pretty shocked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's really really cool. Again, it's, it's it's almost silly. <laughs> like I love it, but I mean it is it's cool, and and yeah. it goes along with like him getting roughed up by them and stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's right. The scene right after this is the where you see him pulling the tape off. And it's funny. He's like biting on his shirt like it's, you know, like he's like trying to pull out like a stab wound or something like that. But it's just <laughs> like, yeah, peeling tape off you hurts. But it's just funny how much focus they're putting on it. I kind of think it's like, uh, you know, Chow Yun-Fat's literally doing it. You know, it's almost like a stunt here. And it's kind of reminding me of Tiger on the Beat. Mm hmm. But in Tiger on the Beat, we see him, like, eat, like, 70 raw (laughs) eggs in a glass or whatever. Um, Which is way more I don't know. It's like most of us have pulled off Band-Aids. We know Mm -hmm. it's... it's, Yeah, again, it's not that it's, like, a a totally uh, unwelcome moment. No, it's not bad. It's just an issue. Yeah, the length of some of these these moments is kind of interesting. Um, There are spots in the movie that really kind of fly by in a flash, and then... Uh, in a way that's kind of surprising and then sometimes you're lingering in a moment and it's not entirely sure why you're still there but sure um we do get some progression with the whole are we going to get married or whatever because um chow and hung chow went to her and said hey you know I think I got to wait for the wedding because of this mm-hmm. job and she gets mad and runs off so what you find out Which- is she's going to I do like that because at first I was like, okay, that seems like a little extreme, but they kind of hint that this isn't the first time that they've gotten right. engaged mm-hmm. and he had to call it off for work. So I thought, I just thought that was a nice touch. Yeah, I think it's fine. And um, so what happens though, she kind of guilt, she gives him an ultimatum now. She's like, I'm gonna be at the like wedding registry at like 10 o'clock the next day. But this lines up with him having to pick up the he, guns. His meeting was exactly at 10 o'clock. So yeah. it's just, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I'll just, I'm just, I might just refrain from saying things. For, <laughs> yeah, be quiet, Marty. A cool Jeez. 10 minutes or something. Yeah, yeah. unbelievable. <laughs> but I, I think part of it is it's like you can feel the potential of like how moving it would be if there was this really frustrating uh, impediment to their romance and you really wanted to see it happen Mm -hmm. and then that gets stolen from them in this tragic way at the end but everything's just sort of kind of limp and weak and just um there's just conflict just because we say there is uh really with uh, most of the conflict in the movie so it's i don't know that that's that's where things start to go a little frustrating at least for my watch so again it's a little unclear what the cops i guess motivation here is in my mind at least because like the police station should know that he's undercover but all the but police are like tailing him and like trying to 
I guess, arrest him. I don't know. But they're following him all around the city, and this leads to a really cool chase scene where he's he's running around. Um, he, like, uh, runs and he, like, hops onto, like, a moving truck and, like, is in the truck bed uh, getting away and stuff. It's a cool, it's, it, it is a really cool sequence. Yeah, one thing I really like is that these are these exterior shots of Hong Kong and you see a lot of people just literally watching them film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like there's families. there's one, you see this one uh, white lady just kind of staring like, yep. I'll bet you weren't a paid extra. <laughs> you, you were just yeah. some woman <laughs> on the street. Because it would be impossible. And she's like to... smiling, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The other thing that's interesting is that um, some of these bystanders, like, so there's this shot where uh, after he gets out of the truck and the cops kind of, like, throw their cigarette at him, he runs over to a payphone, and when Chow does that, he, like, bumps into a lady, and it it looks like this lady's, like, just a lady out on the street, (laughs) and she's, like, kind of an older lady, too, and it's, like, whoa like there wasn't a lot of people in this shot that you had to do that so it almost seems like he intentionally like shoulder checks this old lady for being in the way of the shot it's great yeah (laughs) yeah i almost wonder how many of them were like oh hey why is that getting me road oh is that chai on fat it's a lot better tomorrow yeah there's probably some degree of that um Mm -hmm. in the first shot where they're going to see like the dead cop uh at the beginning i i took a screenshot of it and (laughs) i'll add it to the blog post but you see like this is a crime scene right so you got all these people looking at a guy like a dead guy and then there's like an old lady that just has a huge (laughs) smile on her face like she's obviously just a person like i'm in a movie (laughs) (laughs) it's so funny yeah it's it's really good well i mean so this is all building to a head where uh, Lao really can't deal with uh, Inspector John like chasing after him. So Lao gets in uh, John's face and then he goes to the, the commissioner. So um, he tells him everything that's happening. Like Chow is my undercover guy and uh, he's set to do this deal. And once he does this gun deal he's done but mm-hmm. once this is all out in the open inspector john's like no we got to keep him undercover because we want to get them on the big score well, yeah you know? he gets there sorry yeah. <laughs> sorry i'm breaking my vow of silence <laughs> he gets there but their main conf- like scene of conflict is just this like mind-numbing thing where he's like no he's undercover it's like but he's a criminal it, it's just like john does not get it and he must get it at some point. You don't see a Don hunt him inside a scene, but yeah, the follow-up scene is they're talking to their commander or whatever. Um, and yeah, Chow's uh, resignation is like totally meaningless in the movie, which is right. kind of sad. Um, he hands it in and yeah, first Lau kind of passes it by and then the commander kind of passes it by too. But yeah, eventually uh, John sees the light and, um, agrees to use to keep using Chow undercover, but to go further. Um... And it is pretty rough because yeah, they've apprehended him by now, and um, they're really like beating him up and torturing him. 
So you get makes to perfect see sense. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> well, and when the when the commissioner comes in, he says like, "You can't do this at a police station. It's like, go out back and do it." Or yeah, <laughs> yeah, go to a really friend's funny. house. And there is a really fun uh, another stunt that Chow Yun Fat does in the midst of that chase where he slides down yeah. the escalator, down the partition. And yeah. I've seen so many like fails like of drunk people doing that, and he shows you how to do it the right way because. There's like these ridges like yeah. every five feet and you gotta just do a little hop. Mm-hmm. So if you wanna try that out, watch this movie so you just yeah, know do what little, to do. Do a little hop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um, he he gets into the meeting with the with the the with the other uh criminal people, um, and, and kind of figures out a time whenever they're gonna do this this heist. And uh, he, it's funny because I feel like he's like watching his 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 clocks before he can like run over to the airport to try to make the the last ditch effort to save his relationship. Um, but we get the kind of classic pre nine eleven running up to the terminal to oh yeah nice <laughs> to say you know try to stop the girl from leaving. <laughs> And and that's whenever he gets arrested by the people, mm-hmm. um, just in time to see his his girlfriend flying off to Canada, or she says Canada uh, yeah. earlier in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Well, she says that, but then the letter later is from Hawaii. He's from the yeah. But... Well, what she says is that it didn't work out, so she went to Hawaii. Okay. That's why. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. I yeah. Go There's worse places to go. Canada, I guess. <laughs> um. All right, so uh, so I had heard that this movie was, or that Reservoir Dogs ape stuff from this movie, and whenever I saw Chow getting tortured, I'm like, oh my god, are they gonna cut his ear off? Oh, nice. <laughs> um, but no, they, they they don't. Just just a just a normal. Torture, they being you know? his like coworkers, yeah, in the police yeah. Department. <laughs> if you want, yeah. Some people, if you wanted to really pull from that argument, mm-hmm. you could say like, like oh, there yeah, is a torture scene. I there's guess there's a but... cop getting tortured in this mm-hmm. movie too. <laughs> um, uh, now he's met all of the gang members and he's kind of in with them, and uh, the boss kind of recruits him. He's like, hey, I want you to work with us. We've got a big, uh, big job coming up, and um, they start to case the city. He's being pretty coy about where they're going to do it. So they're casing all these different places. And again, we get some great shots of an active Hong Kong in the eighties. And yeah, um, totally. I, in the original audio version by now in the movie, you're starting to see this Christmas stuff that doesn't come across at at all in the, uh, I mean, aside from seeing it, um, the the soundtrack in the original version by Teddy Robin uses Joy to the World a lot, and it kind of works really well. I think it's really cool. And it kind of creeps, like, it subtly creeps into the film, and by, like, the the big um, kind of action sequence in the end, they he uses Joy to the World in, like, a specific moment that actually works really cool, like how oh, cool. it's kind of juxtaposed with what's happening. Um and that's completely uh, lost in the uh, rescoring version. That's a shame. Yeah. So um, what the boss tells them is that they all have to stay in this apartment and uh, they have to turn their pagers in and uh, they're just going to be on lockdown until they do what they need to do. 
Um, you do get more of these growing moments between Danny Lee and Chow Yun-Fat's characters, which I think are kind of nice and they're getting to what i think i wanted and yeah that, this is so, where i feel like it kind of starts their yeah, relationship this... really building obviously they've interacted before but this is where it feels like they're on the same the mm-hmm. same team and we're roughly i want to say it looks like maybe an hour 15 an hour 16 in, mm-hmm. into the movie i think it's just a challenge having this happen at this stage in the story, yeah. I think, to if try this to was, get to where you're trying to go. If this was 45 minutes in and then the like the second half of the movie was them like in their, you know, like growing the relationship and like maybe doing other like smaller jobs and something before the big heist, I feel like that could have been right. I don't know. A better I mean, way and honestly, we've way. covered we've actually covered a lot of Hong Kong movies that deal with a brotherly betrayal kind of story, mm-hmm. and some of them are period kung fu or what have you. And yeah, I I think like you're saying, Matthew, if that's kind of the central theme, that's sometimes where we start at the very beginning, or we're at least into it, kind of um, you know before the halfway point. Um, but I think. Uh, the charisma of our two lead actors definitely goes a long way mm-hmm. in making making it work as well as it does. Yeah, there's a couple fun scenes of them like at a nightclub with some girls and uh there's a scene where they're hanging out the side of a car and they're kind of hooting at some girls and they <laughs> oh, yeah. kind of being playful with each other that This is yeah, where Pulp Fiction stole the Royale with Cheese oh. <laughs> conversation yeah. line that... by line. It's exact uh <laughs> copy unfortunately. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Talk well about done. like a virgin and yeah, yeah totally <laughs> this is all like building up to when they're actually going to pull off this heist so they finally found find out uh where they're gonna hit and uh chow actually almost tries to get a message out he checks a phone and the phone has like the line cut so what he ends up doing is writing like information on a little like card and putting it in his wallet and it he actually almost gets caught by Fu because yeah. it's like in the middle of the night and he wakes up and uh, he kind of grabs his wallet because it falls on the floor. So there's a little bit of tension here mm-hmm. and you kind of feel that. But you you still do feel like he's, like you said, Matthew, he's he's more invested with what's happening with these guys. You, you don't see him as like, I'm a traitor, really. You see him as like, hey, I'm gathering information and I know what's going on, but I'm still kind of in with these guys. So um, there's also these flashbacks that he deals with a couple of times where in the beginning of the movie, it's not, it seems like he was almost in the same situation where he was undercover and he got too close to the people he was with and that the dude ended up getting killed and it kind of haunts him. So mm-hmm. he ends up having the same dream but it's actually foo that he sees instead of yeah. the other guy, which is pretty cool. I like that a lot. Yeah. Also, I want to call out the kind of boss uh, leader is a familiar Kung Fu face. That's uh, Fong oh. Yao is the actor. Um, and I know we've seen him. As, oh, Broken Oath. He's definitely in a lot of like classic Kung Fu films. He's cool. got that very period kung fu movie face. <laughs> just, yeah, he does. You, you can totally see him with like a wart and the hair sticking out, or mm-hmm. a <laughs> yeah, or like the must, mustache, like even longer. And yes, yeah. So it's finally time for the for the for the big heist, and we see our guys kind of coming in with their their cool sunglasses again. And I, I like this one. Isn't like this one's more like what you think of as a jewelry store. 
Um, I do like that they don't even bother to cover their uh, their faces this time. Like no ski masks. Yeah, like, I think like that the was whole... the one lesson they learned from the last time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, the whole crux of this operation is they want to get in and out as fast as possible mm-hmm. without triggering any alarms. But again, things are going to go wrong. Mm-hmm. And um, I think here's where we begin to see the details of Reservoir Dogs, like kind of if you wanted to argue about it. And I actually think it's sure, interesting. Yeah. And I think... Um, from Tarantino's point of view, like how if he was, you know, inspired by this, which he definitely I mean, was. Sure he was. Oh yeah, I think. Sorry, I I, yeah. I I definitely don't mean to say that. But I mean, <laughs> these like the comparisons are unfounded, because um, you know we know Tarantino is a big fan of Hong Kong cinema, and I think he's even, uh, you know, publicly said how much he likes City on Fire and Ringo Lam. I think mm. it's just there. Yeah, I didn't find the gold mine of um, of references that I guess I was right. expecting based on I wasn't, how it's talked about. Yeah, yeah I, I wasn't referring to you. I just, you know, how people <laughs> say like, oh, he oh, did sure. or he yeah. didn't. And that's been such a hot topic for so many years. And I, honestly, it's really interesting to me. But um, what I think is kind of cool is he – so the, the scenario in Reservoir Dogs is you see everything after mm-hmm. the – the robbery yeah, you see it immediately wrong. before and everything after, but you never actually see the the heist itself. Yep. But when they're talking about the details of what's happened, you can see those details in this scene. Mm-hmm. So, um, right. I forget. Is it Mister 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 Whatever Color or Mister Whatever Mister <laughs> yeah. Blonde? You know, he he shot that guy and went crazy. You know, oh, he hit the alarm. I, I told mm-hmm. him not to, so he had to pay, and yeah. uh. That's what you see here mm-hmm. is that you've got this woman and she she's lifting the case out and it triggers the alarm. And then our wild guy here, Song, who you could, if you wanted to, you know, pull those comparisons is mm-hmm. Mr. Blonde or whoever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the one that shoots this woman. And this is when things go really bad. Mm-hmm. So um, now all the cops are showing up and everybody's on the run and things get really bad really quick. Um, though the detail I skipped over is right before this all happens, you get the moment where you see Fu put up his jacket and that mm-hmm. notifies uh, yeah. Chow is like, Oh, that's the dude yeah. from the drawing. So it was him. Yeah. The like whole time. my new like friend or whatever. Yep, is like, Yeah. Like, Oh, it was him. Mm-hmm. Also. I really like that drawing. Like the, <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> drawing is cool. The, yeah. The but it was, awesome. yeah, it was again, here is a moment where it's like an amazing reveal that would like, make you feel betrayed would be awesome but we knew he was hanging with the guys that were in those sketches right like Mm -hmm. that was the whole point of this um Mm -hmm. but yeah it's 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 really cool and yeah that drawing is um it's not the like art style that you're used to seeing with these police sketches so uh (laughs) it's really cool yeah it almost looks like a like a coloring book drawing because it's just lines oh yeah totally you know like black like weight to it mm-hmm. yeah it's really nice so they get so, in their taxi cab and they make a break but that is cops- one reservoir dogs thing there is them all piling the car and the one guy is like bleeding out in the back seat yeah yeah that's totally. definitely yeah. you don't see a comparison there yeah and they so they barrel through uh like a blockade of a couple of cars and actually this shot right here like in the original audio version is when they're playing joy to the world and it's oh, gotcha. really it's really cool. Oh, I like wow. it a lot. 
Yeah, so they get cornered and they're in an alley and uh, slowly but surely, like, these guys are getting taken out. So uh, Joe and I think, I forget the other guy's name, Mike, maybe his name was. They all have, like, English names. And um, they both get shot and it ends up being uh, Song and Fu and Chow. And they're kind of shooting from around the corner and Song goes to get a car and uh, Fu is really kind of fired up and he wants to like shoot out as many guys as he can so he grabs uh one of the guy's guns so he's dual wielding these guns and shoots at a truck a police truck right as it comes through and that actually is straight up like in reservoir dogs harvey Keitel like lighting up police car it mm-hmm. looks pretty much the same yeah. in 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 that film as it does in here the um, a, a comparison i've heard before about quint tarantino is that a lot of his movies have things like that where it's like, oh, that's like that scene from this other movie. But it'll be pulls from like like a billion different things and like super specific references to like some really obscure like exploitation movie from whenever. And and, uh, Quentin Tarantino watches a lot of movies, but not only he watches a lot of movies, he remembers everything that happens in all the movies that he's seen. And uses he's, them for for his own films, which I think is kind of the his the strength he has as a filmmaker. Yeah, it's a strength and a weakness depending on what the what you're into when it comes to film. You know, like I can see that being fun for people that really like a lot of movies, mm-hmm. but also they're like, oh, the, he's just doing the stuff that other people did. So, yeah. I, I mean, I fine. think part of it is is his persona and how outgoing he is about his love for other Mm -hmm. films i mean i can't think of like a single well-known director uh who composed shots that aren't references to uh, older films or couldn't be construed to be references to older films Mm -hmm. but there's something about the brand of tarantino i guess where uh, none of us forget that he used to work at a video store (laughs) he's hyper referential um but it, it at some level that's kind of movie making too. Um, it's art. It's not specifically Tarantino. Um, yeah, he's just very whatever. open and outgoing about it. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Art is you know it's always informed by mm-hmm. what you enjoy, right? Like you're creating something that you love, and it's the culmination of all of the things that you're yeah. influenced by. Mm-hmm. So well, and there also there are unique limitations of. Yeah where you can place a camera and how human beings are staged. And if you're using guns. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, really a lot of your options uh, and your forms of expression do narrow. I think that's also what I love about almost all art forms is when you actually get inside them and, and you perceive all of your limitations, it can really spark you to kind of work with them and around them. Well, um, I'm sure we will talk about, at the very least, Kill Bill at some point in the future on the podcast, so we'll, we'll dive more into <laughs> oh, yeah, Tarantino we'll then. I mean, we kind of have been this whole podcast, yeah. like every episode <laughs> right. of the podcast. So yeah. <laughs> We've been like sub yeah, it's like the equivalent of subtweeting mm-hmm. um, Tarantino movies this whole time. I think it's, yeah, like I said, I think it's interesting and it's fine on whatever side of the fence you are with all of this i think 
when I kind of am like not into it is when people are like being really accusatory yeah, or yeah. like kind of trying to put themselves above another person because they feel like they know about it and like yeah. it's like oh you know I'm I'm cool that's how Tarantino feels too though he's like I'm cool I know all this stuff yeah he just puts <laughs> right, it right. he puts it in a movie and yeah it's, it's like whatever. now Tarantino he's he's interesting to he's interesting to hear talk but I don't think I would want to spend like an afternoon with him you know like he just he just really be kind of mean. annoying yeah. But yeah, I do like the movies. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's fun. It's pop culture, yeah. I, I, and that that seems to be where he's like at his best. Mm-hmm. Like he's the most kind of eloquent in that in that form compared to you know just conversation or something. Mm-hmm. And I know that people have asked him about this, and I I didn't do enough investigation honestly to get a feel for what. Because, like, depending on an interview, he'll say things, and then he'll say another thing. So you don't know, like, <laughs> he just has so much to say all the time, and he'll just talk, talk, <laughs> talk, 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 talk. So it's like, you'll hear him say one thing, and then you'll hear him in an interview, they'll talk about another thing, and he'll say another thing, and you're like, wait, but last time you said that. So it's like, what's the truth, mm-hmm. you know? And Like, are you just super, like, I mean, we're nerds, too, like. Are you just super nerd about it and you just have so much to say like that mm-hmm. you can't keep track of it? But what I don't know, whatever. Have fun with it. If you like that it pulls from this movie, that's fine. If you mm-hmm. don't like that it pulls from this, that's fine too. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> right. We're so, still in the middle of this robbery. Yeah. <laughs> so Well, that's yeah. that's that is going off of that. This is also like they arrive back at the the hideout, which is kind of this weird industrial kind of location which is definitely similar to reservoir dogs and we get the the mexican standoff where the the boss is correct in thinking that chow is the undercover cop that ratted him out um but everyone else is you know (laughs) saying he's not And it's interesting because um yeah chow is like sitting on a bed during this whole Mm -hmm. standoff yeah because he got um, shot earlier and right. is and it's yeah. much more of a kind of like close quarters mm-hmm. um like blocking and the environment too is a lot smaller than the environment in, mm-hmm. in reservoir dogs yeah. and but also yeah, we only need really we only need a scene for like you know five ten minutes it's supposed to the entirety of the movie right so it works better right. and yeah we have the kind of like looming threat of the cops um coming after them well it's it's nice because it's it's a threat for some of these characters Mm -hmm. but it's kind of um that that will be the rescue for chow Mm -hmm. or so he hopes yeah and i love one of the the guys runs in and says there's like a million cops outside and you cut to it and there is like actually like a hundred (laughs) cops in a bunch of different cars that are all pointing guns and everything at the at the place it's a little ridiculous but it it but it does just really nail home like oh yeah these guys are completely screwed so right right there's a lot of amazing uh bullet holes through the through kind of the sheet metal walls and like the light yeah. streaming in and stuff visually it's really nice because they've got all these spotlights on the building and whenever a hole gets punched through the sheet metal you see like this streak of light mm-hmm. following through it. It's it's really good. Um Song, our wild guy, he gets the he gets to do my favorite thing is like the, the guy getting riddled with bullets wiggling. Oh yeah. he gets lit up. Dude, he does a great job it's with so the, good. The bu- bullet riddling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. 
and there's some infighting and uh one of the dudes his name is bony which i think is really great <laughs> actually in the dub he's got a really strange like froggy voice <laughs> he's only oh, got yeah. like maybe six or seven lines in the whole movie but whenever you hear him it's hilarious mm-hmm. <laughs> um and the boss uh is kind of like yeah we're we're all going you know, down <laughs> Yeah, we're all going down. So he shoots Boney, and then uh, Fu and Chow shoot the boss. So mm. um, those guys are all dead. And then it's just Fu and Chow left, and um, Fu's and yeah, and trying then... to like bust them out. He's like, "We gotta get out of here." And he's like, "No, you just go. Uh, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not gonna make it, or you know, there's yeah. this kind of." I'm gonna sacrifice myself. But then, then he's like, "No." He's like, then he like reveals. He's he like. Really- I, I was a yeah, cop. for me the the reveal was like the most the most um, Reservoir Dogs thing connected yeah. moment, yeah, of, of yeah. any of them. Um, but I, it's hard not to compare it with Reservoir Dogs, where it like destroys you and is like so emotionally impactful mm-hmm. and has been like built up for you know a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is uh, we kind of skated over. I think they're their strongest scene together where they're each talking about their girlfriends and mm-hmm. how <laughs> it's sort of like, Oh, screw them. Um, <laughs> but it is, it's cool in terms of like how they're bonding and they're kind of have almost having like a sleepover <laughs> kind of vibe. You're right? totally uh, right. Yeah, totally. So that's, so yeah, that like scene is like girls. really crucial for establishing this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, uh, it's interesting cause you half expect food to just kind of cap him here. Mm-hmm. But, um, as betrayed as he is, uh, he can't seem to bring himself to do it. Yeah. And Fu actually ends up being the only one that survives because yeah. Chow yeah. just dies out, just bleeds out and dies right there. And some great acting by Danny here. He's trying to say, no, we're going to Hawaii. Remember? Yeah. Um, again, it's like, you can just feel just how, just how strong this could be. Um, mm-hmm. And I think everyone's performance in this scene is great, you know, and yeah. I like how Ringo's shooting it and everything. Um, but uh, I'd say the last but, the last yeah. 30, 45 minutes of the movie are definitely the the highlight. Yeah. 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 I feel you. I feel you there. And then it's um, Lau kind of gets his comeuppance. Pretty, <laughs> pretty surprising comeuppance on um, Officer John here. He straight grabs a brick and smashes him. Over <laughs> I love that. With this brick. Yeah. And I love that the brick just disintegrates whenever it hits him. Yeah, some uh, pow powder. Yeah, and yeah, and there's this last cool shot, like just slowly zooming out from, uh, from Chow's body and all the other bodies on the on the ground. And there's this weird kind of like fade in, kind of of like a yeah, scene this kind of dreamy, like double exposed yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, it's a little weird, but. Whatever. And then it cuts to like really funny NGs with and <laughs> Yeah, oily maniac busts in. Yeah. yeah. Super <laughs> inframan mm-hmm. flying by. Yeah. No, yeah. Um so is that uh that kind of uh dreamy shot is that in the original cut yeah. as well, Carlos? And oh, it is. Um, okay. the the credits um they use uh Maria Cordero's song in the original oh, audio cool. version. Gotcha. But so yeah. then, you know, that kind of works like i was saying it's kind of is it sort of like a cast credits where it's like showing shots from the film with the actors no the footage is the same and there's like a 
a text scrawl with some credits. They're fairly short, but it's playing that song uh, while that's while it's scrolling up. Gotcha. Cool. Well, yeah. So that's uh, that's City on Fire. Nice. I I'm surprised you guys didn't like it as yeah. much, but that's cool. It's. I mean, I guess that's the thing. It's just it's not a bad movie, but I, there's just other movies that do it better. You know. Yeah, I think part of it for me is that there's really very little that happens in. Um, who knows? I mean, we're also, we don't have the benefit of watching it right when it comes out and somehow getting swept up in the zeitgeist of it. it we should say it was a huge hit when it came out in Hong Kong and it spawned uh, sequels and it actually won a lot of like uh, Hong Kong awards and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, at least for me watching it now, uh, like I said, towards the beginning, I was trying to go back through it and I'm like, okay, what is it that's really strong about this movie? Is it like, is it um, like the storytelling? I'm like, well, for me, not, not really. Is it like, is there some really impressive action that I haven't seen before? Mm. No, not there. Like, <laughs> how about it? So, so yeah, you know what I mean? It's like, I just wasn't finding those things. Now, maybe that's unfair and I should instead hold it to, it's like, okay, did it hold, um, com- or hold it to a standard of like, okay, does it keep your interest? You know, do you kind of stay with it? And so I suppose I did. But honestly, having to follow Tiger on the Beat and Better Tomorrow, Mm -hmm. um, it was it was tough. And it's funny because Tiger on the Beat, I would say, is probably like the least well regarded of these three. (laughs) Yeah. And um, but I I also think that uh, Tiger on the Beat has for me, for my money, has so much more going for it than I think it's It's not a contest. (laughs) I think it's the most heroes three of our choices so yes, far. So I think that's yeah. The one with the I chainsaw think... fight is definitely the most heroes three of the movies. Sure, but it, it's not so much that it's like oh I love chainsaws and I hate <laughs> robberies. It's more that it's like oh it's genuinely entertaining. Mm. It there's is. Pl- there's plenty of you know oddities to that movie which I think we called out. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> But there's a lot that's really special and that's really working for it here. And with City on Fire, I guess there weren't so many moments that were just like outrageously bad or something. Mm. But I also didn't. Yeah, I don't. I hate to say it. I don't know if there's a lot that that'll probably stick with with me. Um, mm. from it's it, all good, man. Glad we, glad to have finally seen it yeah. after all these years. We can't all like everything. I think it's it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um. I, it will be interesting to see if we get any feedback from this. So, mm-hmm. hey, if you liked what we said, that's cool. If you didn't like what we said, that was cool too. But it would be awesome to hear from somebody. Yeah. <laughs> Part of it too is this is going to be weird. I don't know how to most eloquently put this, but I love Hong Kong cinema and I don't love it as an exoticism or mm. an oddity. And I'm just not inclined to like grade it on a curve or with like a handicap if you know where i'm going with this yeah yeah um and so it's just like most of this movie just wouldn't fly in any other kind of clothing or whatever um and when we're talking about so many of the great movies that that we love i mean something like a better tomorrow it's like that's just great it's not great for x mm-hmm. or like for this mm-hmm. kind of filmmaking tradition or whatever and um uh yeah that's probably all I'll say about that. <laughs> I am curious. I would like to at some point go back and watch the original audio because I wonder how much of yeah, that really ditto. will influence the the viewing experience. Yeah, I because score score definitely matters. I think yeah. yeah, like like I was saying, like the difference of just a little the the small changes in the script 
and Teddy Robbins' score, I think, really changed the tone of the movie. Whereas, yeah, Ringo Lamb, I feel like, was really kind of going for showing the city, you know, the the underbelly of the city yeah. and how all of this can really get complex and dangerous. And I think that works. Uh, anything else before I wrap it up? I think, uh, well, if I want to put more fuel on this fire. Oh, boy. <laughs> there, <laughs> no, go there, for it. Um, what was the name of that video? Oh, it's, uh, have you guys heard of uh, Who Do You Think You're Fooling? This, uh, oh, so, boy. Uh, no. The, this uh, film <laughs> aficionado, <laughs> his name is Mike White, and um, he actually made like a cut of, City on Fire and Reservoir Dogs kind of uh, gotcha. intercut together, and it's called "Who Do You Think You're Fooling?" <laughs> and <laughs> it's it's actually pretty cool to see it, but mm. it's also kind of like that whole perspective where it's like, "All right, we're not." Yeah, like they if might have both he's... done this, but both of them were referencing something else that happened before yeah. all of that or something. But. I I think we'll link it to the to oh, yeah. in, the bo- in the blog post because it's worth checking out mm-hmm. and uh, however you feel about it I think it'd be interesting either way. <laughs> yeah, totally. Cool. Also, I uh, uh, forgot to mention that um, uh, the cinematographer on this film was actually uh, Andrew Lau, who uh, also well known as a Hong Kong director, uh, famously directed Infernal Affairs. Uh, oh, which, nice! Now there's a movie that like you set your watch legit, to. Is basically re- remade into a, an American film. We almost um, went a whole episode. Sorry, that's okay. I, I liked it. <laughs> um, yeah, that's funny. Andrew Lau direct and Andy Lau is in it. That's yeah, that's kinda, Andy Lau is in it. Um, that's great. I love that. <laughs> so it gets can get confusing, yeah. but I'd say um, those are yeah, two different people. Cool I'm guessing connection. Andy Lau and Andrew yeah. Lau. Yep. Well, thank you so much for checking out our show. If you enjoyed it, then you can leave us a review on your podcatcher of choice. So iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast Addict. Um, yeah, if you had any thoughts or feelings about uh, this movie or what we said about it, then you can uh, ask us about it or say something to us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We are at Heroes, the number three podcast on all three of them. And thank you so much to the Kung Fu Cinema subreddit if you're checking us out from there. You can leave a comment there, too, if you want. We are continuing. We're, we still got a couple of, a couple episodes left for our, our gun action arc. So, uh, Carlos, what's our next movie? I think it's kind of easy to predict where we're going with all of these <laughs> choices. <laughs> and we're not going to uh, stray too far. So um, the next film we're going to be talking about is 1989's The Killer, directed by John Woo and also uh... starring Danny Lee and Chow Yun-Fat. So we're going to... Yeah. We're gonna flip the script again, so uh, we're gonna get to see Danny Lee on the right side of the law and Chow Yun Fat on the opposite side. So, I and yeah, this is probably one of the more widely viewed yeah. movies that we've covered. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, um, I don't think we'll have as controversial of opinions <laughs> <laughs> when it comes yeah, to I, the I don't killer. Think so. yeah. <laughs> yep. So uh, yeah, that should be fun. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about it. Definitely. Well, until next week, we're taking a look at The Killer. I'm Matthew. I'm Marty. I'm Carlos. And we are the Heroes 3. Remember your training.
Heroes 3 is part of the Mercado Brothers Podcast Network. Hello, I'm Ringo Lem. In America, I like, uh, like, uh, I said, French Connection. I like Godfather, so I like Coppola a lot. I like uh, Martin Scorsese. Like the taxi driver, I still like the, his earliest work. Inference. So much inference on me. I saw a wrestling dog. Definitely, that is a very good movie. If he, Tarantino, once he watched City uh, on Fire, he got the story concept or the character concept. No big deal. Very natural. But he, in that movie, Reservoir Dog, is not a copy. He did the movie actually something different. Even the style is different.